0: Well, we are wrapping up a series um, that we've been calling Jesus is Alive, Now What? And it's a series that started right after Easter, and we're going to hit one of the last stories that we find kind of in the storyline. Has anybody here uh, ever massively failed and just really embarrassed yourself? Like, okay, good, it's no fun, right? It's no fun when we think about what those mistakes are. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the person next to you, tell them your life's most embarrassing moment, and then just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> just some people were ready. I appreciate that openness over here. Yeah. We won't make you do that today. No, but our failures, and all of us have failures, our failures are hard to face. But kind of measure sometimes, like, things that I think are really big and embarrassing. Um, But what about these massive failures that people have that that are remembered, you know, forever, right? Aren't you glad that your failures are not known by everyone? Like, the kind of failure that, you know, 2,000 years later, people are still talking about and preaching sermons about? And maybe you have a clue what story we're going to. Um, but, But at the end of John chapter 20... This Gospel of John, it's just about over. It's chapter 20, right at the end. It's after the Thomas story that we looked at last week with some people call him Doubting Thomas. We decided to call him Honest Thomas. Verse 30 of John chapter 20 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, if I was writing this book, that sounds like a really good place for, you know, the end, right? Or, and they lived happily ever after, right? But he's not done yet, right? It sounds like a great ending, but, oh, you flip the page. Oh, John chapter 21, there's another story going on. Now, none of the other Gospels include this story. Now, all four of the Gospels, (laughs) they actually mention... Interestingly, how Peter had made a fool of himself and he denied that he even knew Jesus. So that's in Matthew, Mark, it's in Luke, it's in John. A lot of times they don't bother overlapping certain stories, but this one they all wanted to make sure that we heard that Peter blew it and he had messed up. I don't think, I don't know, maybe they were trying to rub it in. You know, he was kind of a hard guy to get along with. I don't know, who knows. But um, we don't find out in Matthew, Mark, or Luke what the rest of the story is. We see he blows it, then Jesus dies, he rises again, and there's some sort of version of the ending that gives us different details that you put all together to see what happened. But, but the only one here is John. John, it's the last gospel that was written. It's almost like he says, you know, with that scripture above that we just read, you know, the end. But, oh, wait, 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 you've got to hear this one. <laughs> you've got to hear this one. And he actually brings closure to this story of Peter's failure, which I'm really grateful for. And, and we kind of wonder maybe, okay, so why did John finish by writing just one more story? Why did he make sure that we knew the rest of the story? Anybody remember Paul Harvey, right? The rest of the story, right? Anybody? Why oh, I'm getting old, okay. Um, the rest of the story of Peter and Jesus, and that's what we're going to look at today. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, thank you that you're good, that you're with us. That there is nothing that we do, there's nothing we do that could cause you to love us any less than you already do. And there's nothing we could do to cause you to love us any more. You love us as we are on our best day and on our worst day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, oftentimes when somebody fails, or especially when, you know, We fail. We think, uh uh-oh, I I failed and it disqualifies me from having influence. It disqualifies me from, you know, having any kind of ministry go on. Or maybe even disqualifies me from from speaking up in my family when I see something go on that's that's not right. And because I think we see so much hypocrisy in some people who, like, their failures are public and they try to minimize it and they're not really repentant, we see that and go, that's hypocritical and we don't want to be that guy. So sometimes I think when we fail, we think, well, I really have no authority, uh, no right to speak out in ways that might help others follow Jesus. I mean, why would anybody bother to listen to me with all my failures? (laughs) If they were to know my story, they would actually laugh at me. But the truth is, again, we all blow it. We all fail. And apparently, according to the stories all through Scripture, God is more interested in your future than he is in your failure. And one great example of that, all we have to do is look at one of Jesus' closest friends, his disciple, Simon Peter. Now, this Simon Peter guy, he was quite a character. I mean, you know, like, like, like Peter could not get hired in any church that I know of. True story, right? I mean... He was—he was something. He cursed. He was violent. He cut a guy's ear off with the sword. He says one thing and does another. He's arrogant and full of pride. He's cocky. He's always embarrassing himself and probably the people right around him. I'm pretty sure that the outsiders in Jesus' day, when they saw Peter's actions, uh, they probably looked at him and thought, "Wow, this nice. Uh, this is this guy is a disciple of Jesus." Like. This guy is the best and brightest that Jesus could come up with? Whew. Wow, not impressive. And actually, I'm describing me as two, uh, two right there, because I have a lot of things in common with Peter, for sure. But, but Jesus, <laughs> Jesus loves Peter, even though Peter is an embarrassing mess. In fact, the, the night that Jesus is betrayed and arrested, before he goes to the cross... We're going to look at Matthew 26. Right when this is about to happen, Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, remember, Jesus is talking to all the disciples, right? So, and, and they did all fail him. But we remember Peter in particular for what's about to come here. Um, focus on peter like maybe even try to get a picture of him in your mind Um, everything that we know about this guy he was a a professional fisherman on a fishing boat so he's probably a very strong man you know he's probably big he's broad-shouldered he's ripped he's barrel-chested he's a hulk of a guy he's physically strong you know just like you know picture me in sandals right (laughs) thank you for laughing um now, Peter, he was hot-headed, right? He was reckless, he was strong-willed, he was dogmatic. And if he had an opinion, and he usually had an opinion, <laughs> he did not hesitate to share it, whether you wanted to hear it or not. So, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, you're all gonna fall away. And arrogant Peter's like, hey, hey, Jesus, let's, come on, let's have a moment here, just, you know, you and me, um, verse 33. Peter replied, hey, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I never will. I'm always going to be with you, Jesus. I'm your, I'm your ride or die. When these other guys leave, I'm going to be here. Verse 34, Jesus answers, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now the book of Luke adds this detail. Um, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, adds this detail where Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, I read that prayer, and I go, that's a really interesting prayer, Jesus, I mean, it's kind of a non-religious prayer that he prays for him. He's like, hey, you are going to blow it, but I've prayed that your faith isn't going to fail as hard as it's going to be. It's really kind of, I think, a non-religious prayer because, you know, if it was a religious prayer that we were going to pray for somebody in that situation, it'd probably sound more like, hey, hey, I'm going to pray that you don't fail, Peter, that you quit messing up and embarrassing the family of God for crying out loud, like, right? Like that'd be the correct, you know, holy way that some people think that we would... That's how we're supposed to pray for people that are going to blow it, right? Um, uh, But Jesus doesn't do that, right? Instead, Jesus says to him, hey, not only are you going to fail, you're going to fail a whole bunch of times before this night is even over. But Peter, Peter, remember what I've been showing you, teaching you over the past three years that we've been together. I'm going to love you through it. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brother's. And you look at that, and it's kind of like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean right there? What does Jesus mean? And I think it means that as many times as you mess up, he keeps giving mercy. Because that's what Jesus does. Every day it's new. And when we return from a mess that we've made, Jesus says, hey, my hand is still on you. And to Peter, he's saying, I still have. As bad as this is going to get, I still have a place of leadership for you. Now, even though Jesus says this to him, Peter gets, like, bigger. He digs his hole deeper. He says, nah, you are wrong, Jesus. You're wrong. Even if I have to die, I will never deny you. And, you know, sometimes there's uh, one of the problems, I guess, with with those of us who would be maybe labeled strong people, um, with people like Peter, with some of us, is that strong people tend to feel so invincible in the areas of strength, that they have, they're so invincible that they become blind to areas where we're weak. And this is often true for leaders. I mean, it's part of what we keep seeing all through our own culture, whether it's the church or politics or other places with all the scandals that come up, you know, it's often true of leaders that there's just these blind spots. And many of you, I know, you lead in different arenas of your life or your work, and hey, God gave you the abilities and strengths to lead. But we have to remember, especially those who are leaders, we often have dangerous blind spots, and we often don't pay attention to our weaknesses. And right here in this part of the story, it looks like Peter is trusting in his own strength, his own ability, and his words were really dripping with pride, like, whatever with those guys, I will never, I will never. And I think maybe we need to be reminded... Um, And maybe Peter would have been great to hear these words from 1 Corinthians 10-12. Out of the message it reads this way, don't be so naive and self-confident, you're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence, it's useless, cultivate God confidence. And I think that's such a wonderful pause and even a warning for some of us, like, hey, If you think you're so spiritually strong that you'd never blow it, you'd never break your marriage vows, you'd never compromise your integrity in your business, you'd never disappoint your kids, you'd never have a spiritual lapse, then if you think that you're too strong, that'll never happen, then you might be in a dangerous place, a dangerous zone, more dangerous than somebody that goes, yeah, I'm aware that those things could be an issue, right? Because, friends, there is nobody in this room, nobody who is not in danger of messing up or failing, And if we think, well, I'd never go there, we are self-deceived because I'm susceptible, you are susceptible. And we just look through scripture. Like, if this can happen to the strongest man in the Bible, Samson, and if it can happen to the man who was called a man after God's own heart, David, if it can happen to the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, then it can happen to you, it can happen to me. If you don't know the story, what happens after Peter's big proclamation, Lord, these cowards, they may ditch you, but not me. That'll never happen. You can count on me pretty soon. It all just falls apart. You can read through the story. We've looked at it a number of times the last couple weeks. But Jesus is then eventually arrested. He's taken away. Luke 22 picks up the story in verse 54 and says this. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Kind of like he's like, hey, see, see, I'm sticking with you. I'm, I'm not leaving. They're, they all, I'm, but here I am, right? Verse 55. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Oh, maybe somebody's reading it to us. That's good. That is a better reading voice than mine for sure. <laughs> Uh, Verse 55, some had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Strike one. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, he said, I am not, Peter replied. Verse two. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And in Matthew, this detail is thrown in there. Peter began to call down curses, and he swore to them, back to Luke, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him before The rooster crows today, Peter, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. See, it happened just as Jesus had said. Peter failed miserably. And then fast forward through the story. Jesus is put on trial. He's crucified. And can you imagine being Peter where the last time that Peter and Jesus locked eyes was just as Peter had said, I don't even know Jesus. And even threw in a few expletives to make the point that how many times do I have to tell you people, I blankety-blanky don't know this guy. And in less than 24 hours, probably less than 12 hours, Peter went from this arrogant big talker who they had nicknamed The Rock The guy that said, hey, no matter what the rest of these clowns do, I will never betray you. He went from that guy to the guy who denied that he even knew who Jesus was. I wonder how many of us can identify with Peter. How many of us have gone down a path like that before? Or maybe you're on a path like that right now, dangerously close. Um, Maybe you've got friends or people you work with that... I mean, you'd kind of like them to know that you're a follower of Jesus, but they've seen you do stuff and say stuff, and let's just keep this separate. I don't really have that much of a faith. I'm not going to show my heart for God. Um, And any of us, if we've ever failed, actually, we've traveled a similar path as Peter did, right? This path of failure. Um, You know, maybe it would be good, because... You know sometimes it 's good to know we 're not alone let 's just do a mass confession so that we know we 're not the only ones. Um, show of hands here um, if you if you have never personally failed ever ever, but you 're sitting next to someone who looks like they have failed right <laughs> Just kidding just kidding no no if you if you can say yes i 'm someone that I have failed just if you 've one time in your life ever just failed one time, relationally, morally, spiritually, just raise your hand, right? My hand's up on this too. Now don't, a lot of you, don't you feel better now, right? Like, you're not alone. We all think, oh, I'm so alone in this. Nobody, you're not alone, friends. I think that all of us can identify with Peter more than we wish we could. Like, he failed and we fail, and it's never fun to fail, especially if we were really strong and confident that, well, I'll never do that. That will never happen to me. But then it Did and it does, and when it does, it sucks the life just right out of us, just like it did to Peter. And again, we've been looking at this story, so you probably know the next step. A few days later, Jesus rises from the dead. (laughs) He rises from the dead, and and Peter, like, wow, he he has to be overjoyed. I mean, remember when the women came to say Jesus has risen on Easter morning? He uh, ran to the tomb. He ran with passion to the tomb. I bet he was overjoyed. (gasps) Jesus is alive, but I bet there was this kind of some dread like, wow, okay. I'm so glad Jesus is alive, but now I'm pretty sure that I've disqualified myself. He knew I would do this, and I said, no way, never me, and then uh, I did it. This is like the unpardonable sin. This, This is just over for me. And I think, again, some of us maybe know what that feels like in one way or another, right? We, we maybe are like, I will never lose my temper again. I will never yell at my kids again like that. I'll never scream at my spouse like that again. I will never, I will never do that sin. I will never lie. I would never cheat. I would never, I would never break my vows. And then we did. And then we decided we believed that we are disqualified, Well, in our story here with Peter, now he knows Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is alive. And Jesus appears to the group of disciples a couple times. We've looked at those stories. So Peter has seen Jesus, but in a group. And they have not had a chance yet to talk about Peter's denial and his betrayal. Jesus and him haven't had their one-on-one. So when we pick up this story that John goes to in chapter 21 that we're working into here now, it's probably been at least a couple weeks. And so here we go. John chapter 21 begins this story and says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as the rapper Didymus, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. I still thought that was funny last week. I still think it's funny this week. I'm going to keep using that joke. Nathaniel from uh, Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I don't know why they didn't get named, because they give a lot of detail on the others, but there we go. Verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, ah, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught Nothing. By the way, if you want that experience, bring me fishing with you. That's what happens, right? Now, some people believe that the guys were just kind of bewildered, right? Jesus popped in a couple times and then vanished for days upon days, and they've been waiting around. So finally, they just did what guys who like to fish do, right? They go fishing. Other people say, you know what, Peter, maybe deciding my time as a disciple, it's over, Maybe this was him returning to his previous job as a fisherman. Either way, I kind of wonder, isn't that sort of like all of us? You know, when we feel lost, we can return real quickly to what feels familiar. We might even return to our old ways because we don't know what to do. But friends, even when we do that, we're confused and we wander off or we maybe are cashing it all in and going back to something else. Even when we do that, God continues to come after us Check this out, verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. It was about 100 yards away, we find out later. He called out to them, "Mm -mm, Friends, haven't you any fish? Which every fisherman loves when people yell, right? You catch anything? Yeah, right. Popular question. No, they answered. He said, "Mm -mm, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, some of you might recognize that this is exactly how Jesus called Peter and some of the other disciples to first come and follow him three years before. This is the same lake, Sea of Galilee, where this happened three years before. Jesus is kind of setting this up a little bit, I think. In fact, if you know fishermen, kind of like their their spots, any fishermen here just kind of like your typical spots, there's a chance, it's not in the text, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were creatures of habit in the same spot where jesus first called them so jesus calls out this crazy catch happens john realizes it's the lord and when he says this peter jumps in the water he had to put his clothes on interestingly enough so now he's fully clothed he jumps in the water which makes me wonder were they fishing in their underwear like this is (laughs) i was going to put an image on the screen but heidi said that's a bad idea um so he jumps in the water. He's Again, remember, he runs to the tomb. What's he do here? It's Jesus. He jumps in the water. He takes off, fully clothed, swims 100 yards to the shore. He was not going to waste another minute for the boat to land. He had to get there quickly. He swims for it. No denial. No running away. And I think that by by diving out of that boat and swimming toward Jesus, Peter was saying, I can't take this anymore. I need to be with Jesus. Whatever he does, I just need to be around him. But 100 yards is a pretty long swim, right? (laughs) And I wonder by the time Peter reached the shore, I wonder if he had cycled through his mind. Well, what's Jesus going to say? What's he going to do? Like, is he just going to let me have it, you know? Tell, Tell him, hey, Peter, can't believe you how could you let me down like that or maybe jesus maybe he thinks jesus is going to ignore him well yeah there you go peter this guy he said he didn't even know me fine i never want to be around that guy again never want to see him but peter gets to shore instead peter probably wet and shivering he and jesus are gathered around a crackling fire on the shore Now, this is a little interesting kind of deja vu, right? Just a few weeks before this, Peter had been around another fire warming himself. And what did he do there? He denied Jesus. It's like Jesus set up the scene again, took him back into the scene. Very familiar situation. He recreates the scene of Peter's betrayal from a few weeks earlier. And here they are around another fire. Peter's looking into the eye of the one that he abandoned and denied. Gina Pell says, Peter looks into the face of the one he had watched calm storms, the one who loved people nobody else had time to love, who made the deaf to hear and who taught like nobody had ever taught. He looks into the face of a man who still bore the marks where a crown of thorns had punctured his head. Peter looks into the face of a man with a scarred backside from a whipping and a wounded frontside where the spear had been. He looks into the face of the one who had died for all of our sins and failures, but here he is very much alive. Peter looks into the face of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the maker of heaven and earth. And I try to picture the scene. I imagine a pause. The lake is lapping against the shore, the smell of fresh fish is in the air because Jesus is cooking breakfast. And then Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, I always wonder, more than these, these what, right? More than what? Um, maybe. Jesus was saying, Do you love me more than the fish and the nets and the boat? Like, really, Peter? <laughs> is Jesus saying, You went back to fishing? Back to the life you had before me? You think you're done? Or or maybe, maybe, Jesus was asking him, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples do? You still think that that's the case? Remember how you said, if they all desert me, uh, you won't? Really, Peter? Like, Jesus asks him, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And he's saying, yes, Lord, you know what's in my heart. You can see deep down in my soul. You know I mean it when I say it. I really do. And this time, Peter didn't get all big and boisterous. I mean, he'd already been humbled seriously, right? All the stuff that Peter did before to try to prove himself, no, no, no. I think now he's like, Jesus, yeah, no, I got nothing to prove. I have no way to prove it anymore. My performance, which I had relied on, my performance failed. I blew it. I got no way to prove it, nothing to point to, nothing to brag about. My only hope is that, is that you know my heart, Jesus. Uh, earlier this week, I was, I was talking with um, mine and uh, Jim's. Pastor and mentor Dave Johnson, who'd been here with us for a while this this winter, but Dave and I were on the phone this week, and he said this. He said, you know, it's almost like it actually helps to fail. That way, he said, we come up hungry for amazing grace, which is what we actually need, amazing grace. And I think he's right. Like, if we think that we can pull stuff off on our own, if we think we can muster up the strength on our own, we are blind, we're arrogant. And Then we don't see how desperately we are in need of the power of God. And if we don't see that, nothing we do will matter. Nothing will last without God's empowerment with us. And then Dave said this. He said, most people would think that Peter's public sin disqualified him, right? Like he blew it, it's over, you are disqualified, Peter. But Dave said this, but I think it's what actually qualified him. And you might ask, Wait, what? The failure is what qualified, not disqualified Peter? And I think that's true because before now, Peter has never been broken. Before, um, he had this failure. He, he was full of his own ability to make it happen by his own striving. He, he didn't need grace. He didn't really need God. He could do it himself in his own strength. But now, after his failure, he comes up thirsty for grace. Because now, after he has failed, now he probably understands what Jesus meant when he taught early in his ministry. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the meek. Because now he's broken. And now, his strength instead of being the kind of strength that runs other people over, now his strength, on this side of it, can be used in humility and meekness to love and serve others instead of forcing his way. It reminded me, um, when Dave and I were done talking, I r- was reminded of what this um, friend who's an executive pastor um, uh, up in Minnesota, what he said to me, soon after my divorce, there were a bunch of, pastors and we were sitting around a fire pit Um, there may have been smoke in the temple um, but uh, we we were hanging out talking and guys pastor guys uh, talk very real which is really good and healthy and um, one of the guys there um, knew that I was feeling lost confused wondering if I had anything of value to offer anymore if there was anything that I said or did which would matter because now I've got this huge failure And one of the guys, um, he and I have been friends since we were in our early 20s, and uh, his 44-year-old wife had died a year or two before this, um, for our time together, and, and he said to me, you know, Doug, I've known you a long time. I've always thought you were a great guy, but now, after all you've gone through, he said, now I trust you even more. Now I trust you even more. And he reminded me that sometimes our failure When we meet our failure with humility and authentic repentance, our failure can actually make us more trustworthy and safe to other people. And there's Peter, broken, humbled, thinking he's disqualified. He looks at Jesus, no bragging, just the humble response. My only hope is that you know my heart, Jesus. And I do think there's significance to Jesus asking the question three times. If you know the story here, we'll put it up on the screen. But Jesus, I think he brings him back to the scene of the crime, like recreates the fire, back to his three denials. And so he asks him three questions. Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds each time, yes, you know I do. The third time he was even hurt. But I believe that there's a redeeming and a healing of Peter's heart in every time Every time that he was asked that it went to that denial again, it was, yes, Jesus, you know, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And the denial, the denial then is forgiven. The denial is forgiven. The denial is forgiven. And all three times, Jesus says, then feed my sheep. If you love me, feed them, care for them. He's saying, not only is it forgiven, but Peter, feed my sheep. Like, stay in the game. Take care of my people. Strengthen your brothers. And can you imagine Peter's shock? He didn't even have this category, I think. I would imagine he'd be saying, what, 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 huh? What did you say, Jesus? Feed my sheep. Take care of my, what, what? Like, I'm the failure. Don't you remember? I'm the one who abandoned. I'm the one who denied. But Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I said, I want you to feed my sheep. You failed, but this has humbled you. Your brokenness can bring you to a place of blessing where you will experience my grace there. Peter, I carried all your brokenness on a cross and I rose from the dead so those failures of your past and those failures you will have in your future, they can all be redeemed. Peter, Jesus is saying, I still believe in you. Peter, I still love you. And some of you need to hear those words this morning. From Jesus to you with your name, I still believe in you. I still love you. See, friends, there's just something powerful in knowing that somebody believes in you, that somebody loves you unconditionally, failures and all. And so if you're sitting here this morning or, or if you're listening on the podcast This week, and you think, no, no, not me, I've blown it too badly. I promise you that Jesus wants to pick you up and tell you, I am here for you. You and me, kid. I am not finished with you at all. You are not too far gone. There is nothing that I wouldn't do to bring you back, to restore you, to find you. God is saying to you, I love you. I am here just for you, just for you, just for you. In 1998, the country of Armenia, there was an earthquake that in just a few minutes one morning killed 30,000 people, left nearly a million homeless. Author Mark Hansen told a story that happened that morning of the earthquake where a young father, his elementary-aged son, was in school that morning when it happened. And in the midst of all this chaos and devastation, he made his way somehow to his son's school. And when he got there, he discovered his son's school building had just been flattened. And he was shocked. And and in his shock, he finally remembered this, this promise that he had always said to his son, over and over, almost on a daily basis, son, son, no matter what, I'll be there for you. I will come for you. And so with only the terror that a father can feel, this man remembers this promise, and he crawls his way across the rubble to the approximate area that he thought, this is kind of where my son's classroom would have been, and he begins to dig. And he digs and digs for hours, and people would come to him and say, Hey, hey, man, listen, it's futile. We're not equipped to handle this. Like, what if you hurt yourself? Then then your wife is gonna be not only without a son, but without a husband. You gotta stop, man. You gotta stop. But no one could talk him out of it. They finally realized he's just digging his grief out. He's just digging out his own grief. And he wouldn't stop digging. Because he needed to know for himself, is my boy alive or is he dead? He dug for eight hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. And then in the 38th hour, the father heard a noise. He heard the noise. And when he heard that noise, he screamed, somebody come and help, help, help. And other people came and helped him pry this huge piece of rubble. And when they moved it, there was this pocket where the debris hadn't caved in And in that pocket were 14 students and a teacher, and one of those students was his son. The boy said, Dad, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, you'd save me. And when you saved me, they'd be saved because you promised me no matter what. I'll always be there for you. I will come for you. And I kept telling him, Dad, that you would come. Friends, isn't that the love of a good father? It reflects Jesus as well because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, Jesus would come just for you. Just for you, he would come. No matter your failure, there is no wall that he won't kick down. There's no lie he would not tear down. He is coming after you. And friends, I can promise you this. You have this powerful God, and he is working, and he is moving and removing piles of doubt and fear and anxiety. He's removing piles of your failure, and he's coming just for you. So don't give up hope. Your father is on the way. He's coming for you, and nothing can stop him from coming for you. And like Peter, like Peter who thought he'd buried himself, he's gone way too far this time thinking he was disqualified. Jesus came after him and he's coming after you. He will not abandon you, friends, in your failure. You are never too far gone. Never. No matter your failure. (laughs) even in the midst of the deep pain that you have brought on yourself from something you did sometimes, even in that he's with you. He's never left you. He's never going to leave you. You know, failure and shame from our failures, the, the shame that comes, like, it just imprisons so many of us. Like, and I don't know what's going on in each person's life here. Some of us probably feel like failures in our marriage. Others feel... Um, failures because of a secret sin that we hope nobody else ever finds out about. Or maybe you failed in your finances, or maybe it's with your kids. Maybe you failed and it's something specific that you did. Maybe it's something that happened to you when you were younger. But whatever it is, you just feel buried by it. A- and honestly, yes, <laughs> maybe you failed badly something you did and you have a giant mess to clean up. Because I want to be really clear here, Okay. God forgives us and he brings us back, but there is still not a magic wand to wave when you hurt other people, right? When we hurt other people, there is a mess that needs to be cleaned up and amends need to be made with that person. We need to rebuild trust. It's not easy, but friends, hear me. If you have a willing heart, it does not matter how long the road back to the real you is. God wants to walk it with you you are not alone, and He will help you clean up your mess with those other people. And so, you may feel buried by shame, or your sin, or your pain. You have may, may, may have wasted. You may have wasted everything that was entrusted with to you. You may, maybe you betrayed your integrity, your calling, your word, your vows. But hear me, friends. <laughs> Just like Jesus did with Peter, He's coming for. Uh, Worship team, will you come? See, I think there are so many of us facing these things. We feel buried by, they hold us down. Maybe you want to share Jesus with people around you. Uh, Maybe somebody you're a friend with, a family member. But because of the mistakes you've made that have been public or maybe you just feel shame... Because of your failures, you think you're disqualified, like, oh, <laughs> who do I think I am? Like, if anybody knew the truth, nobody would listen to me. Um, and maybe you had started out real strong. Just like Peter, you thought you had a really good game, lots of strength, tons of passion. You're full of faith. There's no fear at all. You're going to change the world, but then, then you fail. And all your hopes and dreams and good intentions came crashing down all around you, and there you are in a rubble of failure. And even if it happened years ago, you know what I'm saying, if you've been there, it can haunt you. Uh, Or if it's recent, it still haunts you. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads for a moment, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to picture with me, just picture um, your failure as a pile of rubble just all around you. Just a pile stacked up and there you are buried in it. That's what you're feeling like. Just picture what that feels like. And some of you would say, hey, you know what, that's me. Just like that son in the story, I'm kind of buried right now. And so any of us who have felt disqualified by our failure, I want to pray for you right now. In fact, I'm going to ask us all to just put our palms up to receive from Jesus his goodness, his grace, his restoration. But even imagine as your palms are up, you're letting go of that failure so he can take that rubble and start moving it off of you. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for each and every person here today, and I ask right now that they would face that pile of failure, and that they would know they're not facing that stuff alone, but they're facing that failure with the full power of you inside of them, that you are with them, even when they don't know where to find you, that you're still there. Thank you, Father, that you didn't leave us alone in our failures, in our pain, and our shame, and our hopelessness, but that you come for us. So in your love, will you come for us? And friends, just picture, right? Picture the Father coming for you, digging you out, removing everything and pressing in with his love. God, I thank you that you're real and that your grace is real. God, that you're in the business of giving people second chances, third, fourth, fifth, (laughs) 10,000th chances and I pray for all of us here today that like Peter, um, those of us who started with this passion, this self-sufficiency, we thought we had what it took in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own gifts, and then we blew it. And may all of us in that boat realize that coming to the end of our self-sufficiency is actually a gift because now we know we can't do it on our own. And so I pray that even in the face of our failure, we would come up hungry for amazing Grace for your amazing grace. And that we would see that living in humility, living in the light can actually heal us and free us. It can actually qualify us to bring your hope and love to other people. For all of us, Jesus, we're so grateful for how you died for us. There's nothing that we could have done to earn it. But out of your love for us, You came for us, and you did it for love. You did it for us. We thank you now. We worship you for being a God whose love is greater than all of our failures and being a God who never, ever, ever, ever stops loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us?